Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the second Sunday of Easter, April 24th, 2022, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as you are able as I read the gospel lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is John chapter 20 verses 19 through 31. can be found on page 1686 of your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, John chapter 20 verses 19 through 31. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of his nails, and place in my fingers into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Sola fide. This is one of the rallying cries of the Reformation. Protestants, and especially Lutherans, have been proclaiming sola fide, or faith alone, for 500 years now. It is a good and necessary clarion call for Christians. But at the same time, we have to be very, very careful to be crystal clear and what we're talking about when we say the words, faith alone. Because passages like our gospel lesson this morning have been used to co-opt faith alone to mean something more critical. Something like blind faith. Now, the verse, have you seen, or have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Is this verse arguing for blind faith. Now now what's so interesting is if you consider this, this attack comes both from the outside of the church and from the inside of the church. 
On the outside of the church, the cry, the mockery of blind faith happens regularly. Christians will literally believe anything. If you don't believe me, just check around social media enough and you'll find someone criticizing faith. Actually, don't do that. Just take my word for it, okay? But inside the church, apart from the attacks, you have an entire wing of the church that will say something like this. You've just got to believe. Now, if you've heard me preach for over a decade now, you will know that it is my firm belief that the most nonsensical, meaningless sentence you can utter in the English language is, you've just got to believe. There is no point to that sentence whatsoever. And right in the middle of the attacks on the outside and the confusion on the inside of the church is this concept of blind faith. Is that what Jesus is teaching to Thomas this morning in John chapter 20? Well, let's turn our eyes back to John 20 and see what Jesus' post-resurrection appearance to his disciples, and especially to Thomas, teaches us about the nature of faith and the purpose of Scripture and the character of God. So first, Jesus and the ten. You have to remember that one of the disciples is no longer a disciple, and Thomas is no longer present. So Jesus in the tent. The gospel lesson opens up at this, on the same day that Jesus rose from the dead. We are still on Easter Sunday in the book of John. Ten of the eleven disciples were gathered together in fear, behind locked doors, avoiding the Jewish authorities. And suddenly... Jesus appears in the midst of them, behind locked doors, among people cowering for fear. For our purposes this morning, it is imperative that we note the first two things Jesus does upon appearing to his disciples. First, he forgives their sins. First words he says to his disciples after the resurrection are, peace be with you. Now these are the exact same words for all intents and purposes as when a messenger from God says, fear not. The only time God can be in the presence of people and not consume them with his holiness is if the forgiveness of sins has taken place. So Jesus says, peace be with you. And what he means to say is your sins have been forgiven. You have no need to fear me. You have no need for shame. Jesus' first words to his closest friends after his resurrection, forgive them for abandoning him, forgive them for their crippling fear, and forgive them for their unbelief, regarding everything he has taught them about his death and resurrection. Immediately after forgiving their sins, Jesus confirms his identity. In the midst of the ten disciples, he shows them his hands, and he shows them his side, and he demonstrates beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is Jesus, and that he is risen from 
the dead. Only after establishing the truth does Jesus converse with them and commission them into their apostolic ministry where they are told as his emissaries to be about the business of forgiving others. That's what ministry for the apostles looks like. You have been forgiven. You spread this message of forgiveness to others. Again, and I cannot stress this enough, the ministry of the apostles is established only after Jesus confirms the truth and the reality of the resurrection. This was absolutely necessary because in the end, at least as far as the history has been delivered to us, 10 of the 11 remaining disciples end up giving their lives for the message of the gospel. The disciples must know that Jesus is risen. They must believe this beyond a shadow of the doubt because they are going to be tasked with spreading this message at the cost of their lives. The gospel message and Christianity in general is based upon the confirmed truth and reality that Jesus is risen from the dead. Now we move to Jesus and Thomas. What is left out of the first part of the gospel lesson and clarified for us in verse 24 is that Thomas was absent. No explanation is given for Thomas's absence. I've heard a lot of wild and crazy theories about why Thomas wasn't present. All of it's speculation. He just wasn't there. But what we do get is Thomas's own declaration upon hearing the reports of the other disciples, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place in my finger into the mark of the nails and place into my, my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, I suppose we might be forgiven if we look at Thomas a little skeptically and say, that's a bit much. But I think we are told this in this way, because it is my suspicion that Thomas has been crushed by the death of Jesus. It is my suspicion that Thomas is so adamant in his grief that he would say something like this. It is because Jesus' death has completely wiped him off his feet. He's done. For, for those who, who, who've been paying attention to what's been going on in Christian circles for the last 50 years, we, we could say, I think, fairly accurately that Thomas has had a crisis of faith. He's questioning everything he's known. And so he says something like this. Suffice it to say, if Thomas wasn't convinced by the report he wouldn't have been convinced by the reports of the women that morning who saw the empty tomb, and he wouldn't been, have been convinced of the reports of Peter and John who saw the empty tomb after that. That's where we're at in John's gospel. And so, the very next week, the situation was duplicated exactly. The disciples are gathered behind locked doors, for fear of the Jews, this time Thomas is there. 
Again, this is just wild speculation. But I like to picture in my mind that that morning, Peter went out and found him and grabbed him by his robe and dragged him to the room where they were going to be gathered together and told them to sit and stay put. I have no evidence that that's what happened, but that's what I like to think happened. Because I imagine that Thomas was avoiding the situation altogether. Whatever the case might be, as the disciples are gathered together, the exact same thing happens. Jesus appears behind locked doors, and Jesus forgives their sins. The very first thing he says, again, is peace be with you. And then he approaches Thomas directly. And he shows Thomas his wounds. And he uses Thomas's own words to confirm his identity and to confirm his resurrection. Again, and I want to stress this, Jesus assuages Thomas's doubts with evidence. The evidence of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, especially in rising from the dead, elicits a response of faith from Thomas. Thomas cries out, My Lord and my God. Once again, the preaching of the gospel the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins is strengthened by the evidence of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished on the cross and with the empty tomb. Jesus shows up and presents the evidence. So what does this mean for us 2,000 years later? What does this mean for us who have the word of God and for us who have been asked to believe? Well, we need to look at Jesus' final comment again to Thomas. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Is Jesus saying that because Thomas had to see the risen Christ, he is less of a Christian than those who have believed without seeing the risen Christ? Now, if this seems preposterous to you, first, good. But second, I have heard more than one sermon on this passage where that has been the idea communicated in the sermon. That Thomas is somewhat less of a Christian than those who have asked, been asked to believe without seeing. That's not what Jesus is saying. Remember that Jesus did the exact same thing for the other ten disciples. So what is Jesus teaching? The key for us is found in the final two verses of our gospel lesson. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. The entire purpose of John's gospel and by proxy of the entire word of God is to elicit a response of faith. Now this is really important. The Bible is not an instruction manual. The Bible is not primarily... The Bible is God's evidence of his gospel 
for our faith. The entire purpose of the Bible is that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. That means the purpose of Genesis is the same, and the purpose of 2 Kings, and the purpose of Obadiah, and the purpose of Galatians, and the purpose of Revelation, and every other book is so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in Christ, you might have a life in his name. The Bible is God's evidence of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done so that God might save us. Jesus' final words to Thomas aren't calling us to blind faith. Jesus' final words to Thomas aren't telling Christians from every generation that you've just got to believe. Jesus' words to Thomas are that my resurrection is your evidence for your faith. And then John says the Bible is the exact same evidence. The amazing thing about God, about the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, is that this God has left a trail of evidence for his people so that they might believe. The amazing thing is, is that this permeates the Old Testament and the New Testament. Just read through any part of the Old Testament and it won't be too long before you find God appealing to his faithless people Israel by saying, look at all of the things I've done for you. Look at the Red Sea. Look at the miracles. Look at the plagues. Look at my faithful provision. I will take care of you because I am with you to deliver you. Jesus' death and resurrection are the exclamation point of the evidence for us to know that God means what he says when he saves us. This is why blind faith is never the outcome of the Christian life. In fact, there can be no such thing as blind faith because faith must have an object. Your faith is only as good as what you believe in. If we put our faith in something that is false or empty, our faith is also false and empty. In fact, as we discussed last Sunday on Easter, this is built into the entire Christian confession. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, we are all fools and we're wasting our time. And so Christ after his resurrection, presented his disciples with the evidence of who he is and what he has done. And John takes up that message and tells us the entire point of the word of God. The evidence of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. Your faith is built upon the historical reality of Jesus Christ as presented in the Bible. Again, and I will be saying this over and over during this Easter season, it is quite simple. Jesus either died or he didn't. Jesus either rose again 
or he didn't. That's it. If Jesus didn't die and rise again, walk away. If Jesus did die and Jesus did rise again, what that means is that your sins stand forgiven. The entire point of what Jesus does for his disciples on Easter Sunday and especially for Thomas and what Jesus does for us every Sunday is that you need to walk away from the proclamation of the gospel with absolute certainty of what God has done for you. That has to be your conviction. Because as soon as you walk out those doors... And even before the world and the devil and your own sinful flesh are going to try to take your attention away from the cross and the empty tomb. They're going to try to turn your attention into earning God's favor by doing good things. They're going to try to turn your attention into doing exactly what the world does. They're going to try to discourage you. Well, Jesus might be your God, but all the other ways to God are over here, and everyone's doing okay. That's not the truth. The truth is that there is only one name under heaven by which men have been given to be saved. And it's the name of Jesus Christ. And the name of Jesus Christ is the name of our Savior. And our Savior certainly, and beyond a shadow of a doubt, has risen from the dead, has ascended to the throne of God, and sits and each and every day shows God his wounds. What he did for the disciples, he stands before God and does for us. I have died in your place. I have shed my blood for your sins. Jesus is your Savior. God has given you the certainty that you have been redeemed because he has given you the certainty of your Redeemer. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.